Hey everyone, welcome to the Wall Lab Podcast. I'm James Marshall. And before we get to today's episode, a quick mention to our partners who have helped bring this episode to you and kept the podcast going. Firstly, Todd's Racing, champion harness trainer, Regan Todd, who's a lad who just wanted to help out the podcast. So in return, let's help him out by following Todd's Racing on Facebook and Twitter. Also, the Waterlad Coffee Bean has impressed anyone who's given it a go. Freshly roasted in Nelson by Pomeroy's. If you enjoy your coffee, you will love this bean. To order, head over to waterlad.com, click the coffee link up the top, and you'll be away. Anyway, I have an amazing guest on for you today, so let's get to it. Okay, righto guys, I have a very special guest for you all today. Refereeing is such an interesting part of the game that we all love, so I'm stoked to have one of the best in the world on Woodlad today. He's refereed at all levels, including Super Rugby, the Six Nations, even the Rugby World Cup, and he's recently returned from the Lions Tour of Africa. And above all, like all my guests are, he is an absolute lad, he's one of the greats. It is, of course, the man himself, Ben O'Keefe. Welcome, mate. Cheers, Jeremy. Wow, what an introduction. <laughs> uh, it's awesome to be on Water Lad. So um, thanks, mate. Thanks for having me. Hey, mate. Awesome to have you on. Like I said, you're freshly back from this massive tour, Lions against South Africa. Looked like one of the most intense tours of all time. How was it to be out in the middle of all that? Bro, it was um it was pretty crazy. Like um, you know, you speak of intensity, it was it was definitely up there, probably one of the most intense, I guess, fixtures, but also series that I think has ever been in terms of lines. Like I knew it was going to be be pretty big. Like um, you know, every line series comes with their um, intensities, controversies, talking points, and and mm. certainly you know the one that I've just come out of um, offered offered plenty, but it was it sort of offered plenty right from the get go. So um, it was a pretty busy three weeks. Um, it was up there in terms of like uh, one of those experiences um, that I remember. But uh, yeah, man, it's it's good to be home. Really <laughs> good to be sort of back in uh, back into a bit of safety. <laughs> Yeah, mate, for sure. And I watched that second test, the one where you're in the middle, I watched it with just the ref comms on. And man, I was blown away with how much you had to deal with throughout that game. You've got the TMO constantly in your ear, you've got your assistants, you've got players constantly talking to you, you're trying to calm everyone down because there's a fair bit of biffo going on. And it's just, and that's not even including the actual refereeing of the game where there's so much pressure on you to get that right. So mate, is it as hard as it looked? Well, that's you forget like that was without having the crowd either. So we had yeah, one true. less, um, you know, element uh, involved there. So yeah, that was it was full on. And I think uh, you know, listening to the to the ref comms, you just you do realise that actually you know, there is a lot going on in the background. Mm. And um, it didn't help that that game went on for two hours either. So I had <laughs> you know two hours worth of players and coaches and and you know TMO decisions. So um, like it was it was full on, but it was just one of those games that like it just needed like what what happened in that game. We just had to get amongst it and. Um, every sort of hurdle that we had to get through, it started in the, in the first two minutes mm. and then it just continued for, for the rest of the game. So um, I feel sorry for you having to listen through all that, but, um, you know, it kept me on my toes and, and, and my boys on the to- on their toes, you know, having to, to get through that game. And, you know, because every little thing that we're having to, to deal with, you know, was something that, you know, I needed the other guys to be talking to me constantly. And I needed the TMO to be in my ear as well because that, that's a game of rugby now, you know. You can't really just be the one solely referring it in the middle. You actually need your you guys on the sideline and the man up in the box to yeah. to help you out just to give you a feel for what's going on. 
Yeah, mate, you, re- you must be really good at multitasking because you're having this conversation with the TMO while still trying to referee the game. It's like trying to do two things at once that men supposed to aren't be able to do. Yeah, mate, look, obviously, yeah, naturally being a male, you don't, uh, you know, I struggle at that, but um, <laughs> it's just like anything, you know, it's just it's just practice. Um, and certainly over the years, it's it's become more of a, and I, I always tell my assistant referees and my TMO, you know, just just tell me, like, I love communication, just mm. at downtime. Uh, during live play, you know, um, tell me what you're thinking, tell me what you're seeing, and then I'll be able to make a decision and I'll be able to make a better decision based on that context. So it's definitely something that over time I've just tried to develop. Um, and I'm glad I did because I definitely needed it in that game because, mate, it was, it was full-on warfare from from the start. Yeah, and even before the whole game, there was the controversial video from Rassi um, posting a one-hour yeah. thoughts piece to towards, I guess, the public and the refs, I guess, but... How much of an impact did that have on you? Did you watch it at all? No, mate. Like that was, I mean, what happened was unprecedented, really, in terms of what a coach had done. Um, I guess publicly more than more than not, because I mean, you, you probably know you've been through team meetings and um, coaches. You know, after a game, they will always send clips to referees, and mm. you know, sometimes you know, I've been up to Six Nations before, and they'll actually send you. Yeah, there'll, there'll be thirty clips that they'll send you. Um, a lot of it's around clarity on what their team's doing, clarity on decisions, and also some things you know maybe to help you in the future. So. It's, it's quite common that that happens, um, but it happens with a certain protocol in the background. So they'll send it to you. Um, you'll go through, you'll do your own review, and then you know, sort of by the Monday, Tuesday, um, that's when you'll give you a reply. So it's not uncommon for that to happen, for coaches to, to, to send out their opinions. And sometimes they are a bit emotive in that email, but it's all behind the scenes. Um, so it was unprecedented, really, is that how it sort of, you know, everything was aired publicly. And um, it certainly, you know, it put a lot of, things in perspective for us because you know we did a we do a massive review after every game and we realized from that first test you know there were definitely things as a team you know we needed to work on um but you know like if a coach puts out 30 um clips post game you know i I could do that in every game that i've ever done Mm. um i could do probably 50 because the game's so subjective you know there's a lot of things that um errors you make or non-decisions that you make um that you know you're trying to as a referee you're trying to lessen that in the game so it doesn't have as much impact, but mm. there's still always going to be that. You know, if you look at it through one side, you're going to pick out 30 things. If you look at it from the other team's perspective, you're going to be able to do the same as well. Yeah. Um, so that that was the biggest thing. So we, when we did our review, we realised, look, there's stuff there that we need to fix as well. The TMO process, you know, the amount of communication that we we do together to make the right decision. Um, so we went through and we reviewed that. And then I remember coming back from the gym on the Tuesday and I read one of the articles um, and I try not to you know, read too much media the week of a game, but it said about this video that had come out and I was in the car with um, Nick Berry who was, who was refereeing that game and he said, yeah, mate, I received it last night and it's full on. And then when I got back to have lunch, uh, we are with one of the South African guys that was in our bubble and the first thing he said when we walked in was like, boys, do not watch that video. And, and I was sort of thinking it was a bit of a joke. Yeah. Um, and I didn't realise the extent of it until you know it came out. The media um, called onto it, and it was just like teeing off in the background. <laughs> and I said to him, I was like, "Mate, so like, how bad is it? You know, like, should I should I watch it at all?" And he said, "One thing you should not do this week, or probably ever, <laughs> is ever watch it." So, so to be fair, like the way it's played out, um, I, I haven't seen it. I think I've got I've got better things to do than watch. Yeah. You know, um, one man's a, opinion for sixty-two minutes. Um, so, so, like, how did it impact us? I think it really just helped us focus to realise that, okay, we do need to be better as a team um, this weekend, but we'd sort of already worked that out in our review process. Mm. Um, and what it kind of did was, you know, for me personally, it kind of fired me up a little, a little bit because 
I felt like, you know, it was a bit of a personal attack on the team, um, on officiating in general. And, you know, you know, the line was crossed. So I felt like, okay, I've got a, a bit of a responsibility to, to put a good performance out there so that, you know, people can just start talking about the game again, about, um, you know, line series versus, you know, the, the officiating. Yeah, did did you mention it to Rassi before the game? You obviously speak to him before the game. No, well, so you know what's normal as well is that we have a coach meeting um, always before the the test on the Saturday, and um, that coach's meeting um, normally is in person, but it was over Zoom um, in these situations. And in those meetings, they normally sort of bring up, okay, these are things that we've done, or these are things that we've been working on all week. You know, is it okay? Often they might bring up a few things that the other team does, but you know, very rarely by then we've done our preparation. You know, we've obviously more than often than not we've actually seen clips that they bring up, but you know, very rarely does it actually influence us. Mm. Uh, so we had that meeting, and you know, we were preparing. You know, which of the South African coaches were going to be on the call? Obviously, with the Lions, you know, you had Warren Gatlin who was on on their call as well. So, so we didn't actually see him on the call. It was just uh, uh, Jacques, the um, South African or the Springbok coach that was on that call. So. Um, you know, it was a good discussion. We basically, you know, outlined, you know, what we thought about what had happened during the week. And yeah. we just, you know, the, the point of that meeting was really just trying to reassure them that, okay, despite what's happened in the media this week, you know, we haven't really been uh, reading too much into it. We know there's a few things we need to work on, um, but it's not going to have any impact on how we referee this weekend. And, and we need, you know, your team to trust that, you know, we're just going to do our job. Um, and so, therefore, you guys can just do your job and not worry about all the external stuff. And I think they sort of took that on board and they said, okay, great. Okay, they, these guys are ready just uh, to go out there and referee. So, therefore, we can, you know, we can trust that, you know, they're going to do that. And we can just trust and do our game as well. So, yeah, we, we actually didn't see them until, um, obviously, had the water boy, water boy bib on. But, I, you know, we didn't really take too much notice. We just head down and um, just tried to referee the game. Mate, that's interesting, eh? And you spoke about your prep coming up to the game. And what else is involved with that prep? I mean, it sounds way more intense than people would give it up. Yeah, I think, like, I mean, I've had heaps of people, you know, throughout my career, you sort of turn up or you might be yarning to players after the game. And I'd be like, oh, so do you guys actually do any work before a game or do you just rock up? And I think a lot of people think we just sort of yeah. chuck on the, the copers and then just rock up onto a field and blow the whistle. But... <laughs> Um, no, we definitely do a lot more work, work than that, and certainly, you know, the more the more work you do, the better performance you you've sort of put out in the weekend. Um, but I sort of alluded to it, you know, you, you you review the game from the weekend before to try and pick up on anything that you need to to work on specifically from that game. Um, and then, you know, much like teams, like we we try and preview, you know, the two teams that we are referring in the weekend, and, and previewing it is really just based on okay, what does this team like to do? Um, how do they try and play? Are they you know, do they go a lot of line out to maul? Um, do they try and scrum for penalties? Um, do they try and spread the ball wide? Because a lot of it's really around, okay, how do I get into the right position to, to make the right decision? Yeah. So I mean, a lot of that, which is, is team-specific, um, and we've got coaches and, and people that help us do that. And then the rest of the week, apart from doing all your physical stuff like um, running and, you know, a bit of gym work, a lot of it is around just, okay, getting getting my philosophies and my game plan um, so that I can referee the tackle quickly, I can referee the scrum, I can referee the line out. And so I've got a blueprint that I've developed over time, and that's what referees do. You sort of develop an understanding for a game, much like a player. And so I, I'm just constantly trying to reinforce that. And you know, sometimes it will mean that you know I have to go out into a field and practice my positioning because I was a bit off the week before. Um, I have to go down to a team training just to you know help referee you know their scrums, and you know it puts pictures in front of my head so I can uh, be better at refereeing that. Um, or I just have to sit down and just watch lots of clips around you know tacklers and. Um, you know, Jackler's getting on the ball just so that, you know, I'm a bit quicker um, in the weekend. So 
a lot of that is is the preparation I'll do during the week. And um, you know, for example, that lion series, that's exactly what I did. Um, but what I try and do is I try and you know front load a lot of it so that Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, the bulk of my work is 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 in the theoretical stuff happens then. So then by Thursday and Friday, sort of the game, you know, the, the night before, um, I'm really only you know thinking of maybe one or two things. So I can just wake up on Saturday, um, have a fresh mind, and then just go out and just trust. Okay, you've done the work. You know, you can just have confidence in you know how you've been refereeing this year anyway. Just go out there and blow the whistle because. There are times when, you know, much like exams that I used to do, I was always trying to like study the night before. I was trying to cram the morning of an exam. Then I'd go out and try and do the exam. And I tried to do that with rugby, really. And I remember I, I had a chat with Gilbert and Oka one year because, you know, my games were real up and down. I was having good games. I was having bad games. I was I was quite inconsistent. And he asked me what my process was. And I sort of said, look, I just, I just try and study the game and study how I'm going to referee every day, Friday night and Saturday morning. And he said, look, if he had, if, if, you know, one of his All Blacks or one of his players was still going through all their notes this Saturday morning, he would, he would grab that book and throw it out. He just wants one or two key things for for their players. And so I, I took that on board. I, I trialled it when I was refereeing um, South Africa versus France. I sort of, I talked to, him, talked to him about three years ago on the Monday and I thought, oh, I might as well try it because, you know, I've got to try something different. And yeah. um, it worked really well. Um, so, yeah, so I, I, try and, I try and just do that and... Um, it often means I try and play a bit of golf on the Friday as well, just to clear the head, because um, that can be quite challenging too. You know, like you hit a bad shot, which happens a lot for me, um, and you got to just move on. You know, it's the same thing in a game. You make a yeah. bad decision, and you just got to move on. So, um, I quite like uh, sort of where I'm at in terms of how I prepare. Mate, there's so much to it, eh? Way more than people could ever imagine. I'd imagine. So, is it different for uh, when you're refereeing compared to when you're an assistant or a TMO? Does does your prep change at all? Yeah, it does, like, probably the extent of how much you prepare. Um, yeah. You know, when you're the lead referee and you're preparing for how you're going to um, lead that team and referee um, in the weekend, you know, you're doing a lot of the work. You're actually, you know, you'll lead a lot of the meetings that you'll have during the week with your assistant referees and your TMO because you'll probably catch up maybe once or twice around, okay, this is what I'm saying, or, guys, I want you to actually do a bit of work on, you know, you're going to be on the side of the scrum, so I want you to have a look at um, how, this, how this team operates at scrum time. So, you know, you'll then catch up and, then go through sort of those key things that you think is important for this game just so that you're on board. Yeah. So the referee will do a lot of that. But as an assistant referee, you know, you actually have to train yourself that week because the worst thing you can be as an assistant referee is try and referee the game. You know, you're actually, as the assistant referee on the sideline, you're more focused on, you know, watching, you know, space, offsides. Um, we have all this different type of role clarity when a kick goes up. So you've got a contestable kick. You know, the referee is actually going to be watching the contest in the air where the assistant referee is going to be watching the escort running um, on that on that sort of ground plane so you've got to sort of train yourself okay this weekend on the assistant referee I've got to actually um, change what I'm looking at what I'm focusing on I'm going to be at the front of the line out so I need to actually be focusing on you know the front pod what they're doing the year um, does this team sack are they coming in the side of the mall so you really have to change where you're looking at because um, if you don't then you know you're basically going to be missing things that your referee needs you to do um, to achieve that weekend so um, there's definitely that aspect, and then if you're the assistant, if you're the AR1, um, there is a chance if you know you've got an old fellow refereeing, um, they pull up with a bit of a calf injury, um, you have to jump on, and you know that certainly happened to me a few times. That's how I got my Super Rugby debut when um, Chris Pollock rolled his ankle doing skipping or something in the morning of his game, and then he gave me the call up sure. and he said, "Yeah, you're out there." So you sort of have to prepare, knowing that okay, what am I going to do? 
um, if, if the scenario means that I have to actually run onto a field, you know, halfway through or even before the game. Were you prepared as a young fella then, being the AR1, were you prepared for your debut that day? Mate, like if I'm honest with you, I'd, no way. You know, yeah. like I just thought I was just going to rock up. I was I was still getting used to being the AR1. Yeah. Um, and uh, when I got the phone call from him, I thought he just wanted to catch up for coffee. But uh, I sort of walked in, he was hobbling, he had this massive ankle on him. Um, so we, we took him down and, you know, got him x-rayed and everything. And um, I didn't really realize until afterwards, you know, it was about midday where I got the phone call from Lyndon Bray, who was our boss, and he said, well, you're up. And I thought, what does that mean, you know? Um, yeah. And then, he, you know, obviously it dawned on me that I was going to referee Super Rugby game, which is going to be Crusaders-Highlanders, um, you know, which for anyone who's born in the South Island, you know, it's a big, it's a massive derby. Yeah. And um, I thought, okay, what what would I normally do during a week? Well, I'd normally have five days of preparation. Well, I've got about four hours, so what am I going to do? <laughs> so I went back to the hotel and I just slept <laughs> and then got up and just, and just went out and refereed. And I remember walking off the game being like, that was absolutely fantastic. I loved it. Yeah. And then about six or seven sightings came through of, of foul play that I missed. And oh, I realized I had a lot of paperwork that I needed to do. So, um, yeah, but it was, uh, it was certainly a good experience, that one. Oh, mate, that's good times. But before we get too far into your refereeing career, we need to go back to the start. And we got a PB of questions coming for you. I mean, everyone wants to send in the refer questions. So you've got plenty <laughs> to finish this podcast with. But we need to start at the start, like always. Growing up in Blenheim, what was your childhood like? My childhood's amazing. You know, it's one of the best best town in the top of the top of the South Island um, in Tasman. Um, a lot of sunshine hours, so no, I loved it. Um, went to Marlborough Boys, and you know it was it was great growing up here. It's I kind of love growing up in a small place because it was very easy to get around. Mm. Um, you know, footy trainings. You play all, all types of sports because you know you could basically bike everywhere. And um, yeah, as I said, Marlborough Boys. You know, playing rugby there, and um, you know, grew up with some some pretty good rugby players. Um, that came out of there, and it was just a yeah, really good, really good place to to sort of grow up in. What position did you play? Well, mate, I was I was sort of like what happened to me is that I was quite tall. I was sort of this height when I was about nine, ten, eleven. So oh, yeah. I I stayed, and I had a little bit, I had a little bit of gas. So I stayed in the back. So I was a sort of second five centre, and then slowly got pushed out to fullback, and then even further out to the wing. Um, but that's that's sort of like the position that I stayed at because. Being this height, I was I was able just to run it straight and you know able to get through players and so I didn't really you know work out the fine arts of fending and sidestepping and you know looking for space. So as I got a lot older and and people started catching up with me height and sort of weight wise, um, yeah my I sort of got started started getting kicked kicked out the back and um, you know almost on the bench as well. So that was sort of my playing days for for Marlborough Boys and. Um, no, I certainly enjoyed it and, and had a great time. Was that ever a dream of yours to play professional rugby? Was that a bit of a goal for you? I think it was. Like, I mean, most, I think, Kiwi lads growing up, you know, they, they want to be an all-black. And, you know, I was certainly that when I was, you know, playing for Marlborough Boys. Um, it wasn't until I actually trialled down at Varsity down in, down in Dunedin where I started maybe I just lost that passion. I lost that love. But I didn't lose that love for the game. So um, my dad refereed in Marlborough. And um, growing up, like, I would always be his water boy and, you know, I'd always maybe I'd hold the flag from sometimes, but I never watched him as if, geez, that's something that, you know, I want to be a referee one day because I was, I was too engrossed yeah. in playing and, you know, I wanted to be with my mates and, and all that. So it wasn't until university where I, I sort of lost that, that um, I guess, passion for playing where he, he suggests you should, you know, give refereeing a crack. There's a bit of a pathway there now. So um, I guess, you know, I, I was like every other Kiwi, you know, lad just trying to, Grow up, play rugby, and um, and see how far you could go. So, what? How was it when you first gave it a crack refereeing? 
did you love it or tough gig? Like, I don't know. I, I, I still really can't remember it. The first day I turned up, I tell the story where um, I was on Cumberland Street in Dunedin, which is like the main drag just um, outside of North Ground. And back then, you know, you, you sort of you received your emails on, on the computer and on a laptop. You didn't have a smartphone or certainly, you know, I just I was just running the old Nokia brick back then. <laughs> and um, so this team was warming up on a Saturday and, you know, about quarter to one. And I, I saw that, you know, they didn't have a referee. So that was, uh, I thought that was a bit crazy. And they're warming up, they're warming up. And then I just checked my emails and I'd received an email on the Tuesday saying that my first game was um, on Saturday at North Ground at one o'clock. So the, the, t- <laughs> the two teams that were warming up and me sitting there being like where's that referee they're actually waiting for me to turn up so i grabbed my boots and um i had a whistle that i had as well and i, yeah. I ran over there and um the, i had to borrow the coach's watch to to kick the game off because i didn't have my own watch and mate to this day like i'd love I, I mean it wouldn't have been recorded or anything but i reckon i would have been awful because um you know every every year you referee you look back to the year before and um you sort of look at it and you go wow okay yeah. Um, I can't believe I was doing that. I can't believe I was making those decisions. And, yeah. and um, so, you know, so this is a good almost 12 years ago now. So I don't really know what I was doing as much as, you know, potentially what I, you know, I'm definitely a bit better now than, than my first day then. hundred <laughs> percent. Did you have doubts after it? Did you like enjoy the process or did you cop any criticism out there while you're doing it? Because I mean, refs are never shy of copying criticism. Yeah, like, I mean, we, we cop a lot of criticism. A lot of it's, you know, part of the game in terms of passion. But I remember back then, like, for me, because I'd really, you know, I didn't see myself, I was never going to achieve being a great player. Um, I just wanted it to stay part of the game. So it was really ticking that box for me. You know, I was, I'd go out on the weekend. I'd referee a club game in Dunedin. Um, and it got it just got me outside. It got me involved in sport. Um, and I could just go back into my studies during the week. So for me, it was just about, um, you know, I really enjoyed that aspect of it because, um, you know, it was, it was a big part of my life down in Dunedin and, and Dunedin was a great place to be able to do it because, again, it's kind of a, yeah. a smaller town. You can get around, you make a lot of good friends and um, it meant that I could I could just be involved in rugby still. And I guess it gave you a bit more time to focus on your studies because you are a very intelligent man. Eye surgeon, is it? Yeah, well, I don't know if I'd say intelligent, but I just I just do the time and, you know, put my head <laughs> in the books and, I, so I studied medicine down in Dunedin and, you yeah. know, it's a, a six-year gig. Um, and then once you graduate, you do, you know, um, you do you do a, a rotation around different medical and surgical specialties. And I realized early on that I, I really like sort of fixing things and sort of hands-on stuff. Um, so that sort of moved me down the surgical route. And then um, I, I found, you know, ophthalmology, which is, you know, uh, eye medicine. And, you know, the benefit that you can, you can give to people and patients and, um, you know, some of the things that you can do is pretty amazing. So um, I did that for a few years full time. And then I was I was offered a full time contract to referee rugby. And I was lucky because it was kind of at the point where I was, you know, working full time Monday to Friday, doing on calls during the week as well, flying Friday for a minor 10 cup game or a super rugby game Saturday. So you fly Friday, do the game Saturday, come back Sunday. And I was straight back into it on Monday. So it was getting pretty full on. And then it got to a point where, you know, I was, you know, you might have a clinic that it's meant to finish it for, but if anyone's been into the hospital, you know that, you know, you're probably not seen until 7 p.m. So, yeah. you know, there were some clinics that were running well over time just because the day was busy. Um, and then I was starting to miss flights to games. And then, you know, that would affect the preparation for my next game. Hmm. Uh, sorry, for the game the next day. And so it really came at the perfect time when they offered me this contract. And I thought, well, I'm going to give it a, give it a crack. I'll, I don't know how long it's going to last for. I might do one game and then they'll punt me. But um so now I've, I've, it's really good it's really flexible so i can just work as a locum 
um, in the eye clinics around around New Zealand, and yeah, it might mean you know I work one to two days a week, and it really helps to get away from. You know, you go back to copying the criticism. You know, sometimes it's nice just to get away from rugby. So yeah, yeah, um, can put some things into perspective. So, do you actually perform the eye surgery? So, like, part of my job is like I'll be a junior junior registrar. So you have your consultants doing all the really big surgeries, so like the cataract operations. Um, you know, they'll work at the retina at the back of the eye and yeah. um, you know fixed attachments and things like that. So what I do is like um, you know if you come in if you've got you know something in your eye you've got an eye infection or your eyes inflamed. You'll be the, I'll be the first person that you see. Yeah. Um, I'll assess you, I'll treat you, I'll try and diagnose what's going on. And if it's something that I can treat, so for example, if I just need to do a bit of laser to fix um, a tear that's at the back of your back of your eye, your retina, I'll be able to do that. Um, some people need injections in their eye. Um, some people just need you know drops just to treat you know an infection that they have, and then you know I'll I'll book them in to, to see me again in a few days. Um, so that's generally what it is. And then when you you do go to surgery sometimes, and you're you're assisting your consultant. And they might say, "Look, hold this, hold that," and um, you know, you're really, you know, you're, you're basically another pair of hands for them. So it's um, pretty exciting to be able to, to be able to do that kind of stuff. Do you feel a lot of pressure when you're in those rooms, more so than refereeing? Yeah, like um, I think it's a different pressure for sure. You know, like the the pressure that you get in rugby, I think, is more it's more personal. It's like your name that's in the media. It's your name that's making the headlines. It's your picture on the front page. Yeah. Versus this is, you know, in, in medicine, it's actually, you know, you're trying to treat someone's health and, you know, you're trying to make them better. Um, there are fine margins between making the right decision, making the wrong decision. And if things go wrong, it can really affect the long-term outcome for someone. So, you you know, the pressure there, I think, is a lot higher. And, you know, I've worked in, you know, emergency departments before mm. where, you know, patients come in and you're in the recess bay and, you know, things are full on. You know, that's I would say that's pressure um, because, you know, you're having to make these mm. decisions um, with the help of colleagues that are, you know, going to impact someone's life potentially. So, um, so I always thought that that helped me uh, because you know I've, I've been in an environment where you know there is a lot of pressure involved, um, but also um, you know the the rugby environment helps me uh, in my medicine as well because you know a lot of I guess parallels in medicine and, and rugby is you know your communication, how you manage people, and that's what you have to do in medicine as well. Like if you don't have the right, if you can't communicate correctly or answer the right questions to a patient, they're not going to basically tell you what's wrong with them. And it's the same thing when you're trying to deal with a fired-up captain or, you know, a, a, a seven who thinks that they should have, you know, won the ball when, you know, you said actually they're they're off their feet. So, um, so some really good parallels there, which I've which I've enjoyed. Mate, you love it. You love the pressure. And talk to me about um, coming through the ranks. So obviously you're a young ref when you first started out. Well, I think it was what 18 years old, were you? Uh, yeah, I was, I was 18, 19. So I was, I was sort of that first second year at uni. You remember when you were playing sevens for Tasman, and I'd, I'd actually drive over from Blenheim. Um, this is like years and years ago. True. Um, and I'd, I'd referee all your training games. Oh yeah. And um, so it's probably the, one of the first times that I met you. True. And I remember, like, after the game, you sort of came after the training, you came up, and you're like, um, "Oh mate, so where do you live in now?" And I was like, "No, nah, bro, I, I drive over from Blenheim every day." And you're like, "Oh mate, look, come on, come home. We'll um, we'll get you around. You can stay the night, and you can you know come back to training tomorrow." Yeah. Um, now I, I ended up obviously I was I went to back to Blenheim. I um, got back to the family there, but I always thought like, oh, geez, he's a good man, and um, <laughs> no, that's why it's always been been good to catch up with you during during Mate, games um, since then. I can't believe that was you. I can't believe that was yeah. you, the ref. Hey? Yeah. Jeez, you've, <laughs> well, cracked, you probably... you've come a long way since then. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the thing. You probably blocked me out so far. It was so bad since then. But um, yeah, no, it was, it was one of my first memories of you. So oh, true. it was bloody good times. Eh? That yeah. Shit, yeah, it's going back. 
and then you progressed through the ranks pretty quickly, didn't you? So you would have been a young ref, refereeing um, NPC at the time. H- how was that? How was it going into that environment? Yeah, it was pretty. It was pretty daunting. Like, um, I think then, like, we had a lot of support. So there was a, a, an older group of professional referees who um, they really sort of took me under their wing, and you know they were able to you know help me in terms of you know okay, you're the young kid on the block. Um, there's a lot of potential there, but there's a lot of stuff that you need to learn. So I tried to, you know, learn and, and take as much in as I could from them so that when I did go out and do those games, um, you know, my, my debut game, which was Auckland versus Bay of Plenty, I just really wanted to go out there experience it. But also a lot of it is you can be told all the stuff around how to referee a game. You can read up on the law book, but until you're actually out there, um, it's, you know, it's actually really difficult to, you know, until, until you see those pictures. So... Um, it really, you know, all my learning really started, you know, once you actually got in the middle and, you know, you made some good decisions, you made some poor decisions, you then review the game and then um, that's how you got better week by week by week. And um, I think back then it was it was a little bit more daunting because, okay, the players were a bit older than me. Yeah. But pretty quickly, you know, the players got younger or I got older and he started realising that actually, okay, you got a bit of confidence, you got a bit of experience um, and you can just go out there and just, just do your job and people, people will, tr- will trust that. Yeah, and is there any other, is there any games that stand out as you progressed through your um, ranks? Yeah, um, I think like there's, there's been great games that I've been involved in um, because the games are great. There've been games where you know people necessarily probably didn't think the game was fantastic, but I was really proud of how I refereed. Um, there's also really tough mm-hmm. games that um, I thought I did a good job in, but there's also games where you know I didn't do well, in, and you know that's that's where you get your, your biggest learnings from. Um, so, you know, all those sort of milestone games, I think, you know, my first, my first Heartland game, um, on the West coast, um, mm-hmm. my first Mata 10 cup game, which is Bunnings now, um, my first super rugby game, which when I was thrown into that one that I mentioned before, yeah. and then my first test match, which was in Samoa, and then my first tier one test match, which was in Scotland, you know, all those sort of levels, um, were, were definitely, were, were good experiences because every sort of level is slightly refereed differently to the next. So yeah. when you do reach that next level. You know, you, you really are, okay, back to a level playing field again. Okay, you've got to start learning um, as you go. And until you get the experience, you don't really know. So so they're all really good. And then, like, to top them off with uh, the World Cup in 2019, and, and I think just coming back from South Africa, even though during the time, you know, it was a, a hell of an experience, you know, I'd say that, that was really, you know, one of those games that I'll that, – and, and probably the series, you know, that I'll remember um, for the rest of my career. Mm. Yeah, you spoke about the Rugby World Cup there. Obviously, being a Rugby World Cup referee is one of the, I guess, ultimate goals as a referee. And that Japan tournament was unreal. Eh? What's it like travelling as a referee? Are you are you all together? Do you travel all together? Or what's what's it sort of look like? Yeah, so travelling, um, when you, well, obviously pre-COVID, before we had all this this business that was happening now, um, there were about four international windows that you'd travel in a year. And, and that's on top of, you know, Super Rugby travelling to um, South Africa, Australia, Argentina and Japan. So four of those windows you travel. So Six Nations, Rugby Championship, and then the two windows that where the North comes down here and then the South goes up North. So as a referee, you'd, you'd, you'd normally travel and you'd probably be appointed if you're on a, a series with um, two other assistant referees and a TMO. Now, they weren't local, so they, they would all come from another country as well. So they'd fly in from France. Mm-hmm. Um, they might fly in from you know, England, for example, if you had Wayne Barnes or, or Luke Pierce. So you'd generally all... If you're in South Africa, you'd all fly in on the Monday, and then you'd stay together for the three weeks. And you know, during those three weeks, you know, you'd, you'd prepare together, you'd train together, um, you'd be in the same hotel, and you'd travel together to the different um, locations that you do the games. 
Um, sometimes if you were referring in the November internationals, you know, you'd fly up there and your assistant referee might be from France. So they actually, they'd come back and forth. Um, so you'd just be by yourself the whole time. Yeah. So what, what I really liked about it compared to, um, I don't know, like you'd be able to know when, you know, you're playing. For me, you know, the number of maybe four people trying to get around to do something logistically was a lot easier potentially than, you know, I've been with um, Nick Berry, Jamie Nutbrown, Glenn Jackson, all weeks players as well. And um, they, you know, they really, it took them a, a wee while to get used to being a referee in the way that we traveled because they're very much used mm. to, okay, at this time we do this, at this time we got breakfast, at this time we're getting on the bus, we're all going together. Um, so it was a very structured day, which, you know, they really loved, where for us it was like, okay, you know, if I was refereeing that, that, that weekend, I'd sort of lead the week and say, guys, this is what I, you know, on Monday, this is what I want to do today. Um, we're going to train at 9 o'clock. Um, we're going to have a review session at 3 p.m. Um, in between, it's just your own time, and then we'll catch up for dinner at 6. Um, and sort of every day you sort of do that. So it was it was quite good because you could just decide, okay, all right, the weather's good, all right, so we're going to actually go for a, We'll go for a drive down the coast or something or we'll go for a, for a run on the beach together and um versus you know having to be you know so strict on what, on what we're doing so that's kind of what i guess a week is for a referee and um obviously when you're traveling it's 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 good as well so um that was that was one of the bonuses of finally you know getting back to south africa yeah um because you know we've been sort of stuck at home for the last two years now and um, I was getting itchy feet and the jobs at home were sort of stacking up. So it's good to get away. Mate, it's all interesting stuff. And at that Rugby World Cup, you were in charge of refereeing Japan, Scotland, one of the one of the great games of the tournament. And I think your performance in that game was almost a 10 out of 10 performance from a referee. When you have a game like that, do you know you're having a good game when you come off the field? Yeah, look, I think, I think you, you don't really know until after you've blown the final whistle because, you know, you could referee a game and, you know, in your own mind or, you know, when you review, you could referee 79 minutes of that game perfectly. Yeah. Um, and then all of a sudden in that last minute or, you know, one thing happens in the game and all of a sudden it's a, it's a train wreck. Yeah. So it's it's all, it's more, as a referee, like you just want to do a great job for the players. You want to set up guidelines so that they can adapt and they can actually express their skills. Um, so then, you know, if you can do that and then you walk off the game, you're, you're more just relieved. You know, you're more just like, okay, I don't think they're going to talk about me in that one. I'm really proud of what I did. And you can just sort of enjoy, you know, reviewing that game. Yeah. Um, so when I, when I refereed that game, I, I knew, you know, like it was it was sort of like a really disruptive weekend because we had the typhoon. We weren't sure if the game was going to go ahead. Um, and we had, you know, this game that had, you know, 70,000 people there, a few million people watching, you know, in Japan mm-hmm. worldwide. And um, it really was a quarterfinal, you know, like to – almost do a, a type of playoff game where everything was riding on this game um again i just love the challenge and um i thought i got a really good balance of you know how i refereed and how i let the players play and i think um at the end of the day you know the outcome was based on what the players did and and that's i think what you want to do as a referee you just want to mm. be in the background step in when you need to if you need to but otherwise let the players play and enjoy it yeah it's awesome and you you mentioned avoiding the headlines so how much criticism do you get after a game like a general game and how do you handle it? How have you learnt to handle that? Because you obviously be copping criticism for any game, no matter, even if it is a perfect game. Yeah, you do. Like, that's the nature of rugby and, and supporters, you know. Like, I think supporters, they think you've had a perfect game when you get everything that um, that the other team has got wrong and, and you miss everything that they've got wrong, you know. So <laughs> they're always going to have an, have an opinion on how you, how you referee. But I think that's like, people ask, okay, what's the difference between going between different levels? And I remember going from Mitre 10 Cup to Super Rugby, like, yes, the game was faster, 
but the players were at a high level. So actually they did a lot of the accuracy for you. So it was easier to referee. You know, I've always said that, um, you know, you should really start people referring at test matches because, you know, I think that's a lot easier than potentially doing under 15s where, you know, everyone's just scrambling <laughs> for the ball. Um, so, you know, that, 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 that's, that, that's like when you, when you talk about, okay, what's the hardest thing at the next level, it's really just that, that public attention or that external attention that happens before the game and after a game. Um, and I sort of joked, you know, like you go to South Africa and, and they love rugby over there. You know, they've got mm. talk shows going all week versus in New Zealand. You know, we've got a, f- a few shows on the Monday, Tuesday, and then, you know, we get on with it. And, yeah. uh, you know, they're full on there, um, you know, as, even as we saw with the Lions series recently. So I always found, and, and with social media now, you know, um, that's just I probably open access to a lot of individuals and, and referees including. And, you know, I've got Instagram. I've got, you know, um, Facebook because it's a really good avenue for, you know, when you're traveling, contacting friends being in touch with family when, when you're away as well. Um, but I've always said, you know, like if you if you do a game in South Africa or, you know, potentially anywhere in the world now, if you only get five private messages abusing you afterwards, you've probably had an all right game. But, you know, sometimes you'll get up to 15, 15 20, and then you sort of know, yeah, okay, right. maybe I did miss a forward pass. Um, and like the sad thing is, like, it can get quite personal. Like, um, yeah. you know, these are just people that I don't know, but, you know, they're talking about you, your decisions, um, your family, all that kind of stuff. So it gets it gets pretty negative, and I think you know it's really hard because you know I'm a human being. We're all human beings. You know when you read that kind of stuff, um, especially in the first few years, it's real real hard to sort of mm. be able to cope with that and deal with that. And you start second guessing yourself and second guessing your ability, even before you've been able to review your game. You know you've literally just got off. Um, you're probably on the bus ride home. Yeah. So um, like I mean, so now like okay, I kind of I can I've sort of grown up with it now where. I find it a little bit more funnier that these guys can just just do that, and you know, often I'll, I'll screenshot a lot of them and, and share them with friends and family, and you know, it just helps just by talking about it. Yeah. Um, but I, you know, I know it's probably the same, and you know, I've read I've read um, articles that also get stuck into players too. So I think it, mm. you know, um, everyone involved in rugby, you know, no one's really immune to it. Um, but certainly, what's helped is you know, even before before the second test um, in South Africa, I just deleted all my social media and all my apps. Um, all my um, newspaper um, apps as well, just because I just wanted to try and stay away from it. Because I know that, you know, sometimes, even though, you know, I feel like I'm pretty mentally strong, um, you know, sometimes that one headline or that one little opinion can just sort of, you know, break the shackles and get through and then you start doubting yourself again. So yeah. um, it's, a, it's a tough one. Like, it's something that I don't think is ever going to change. And, you know, I mentioned some older referees um, before, like, you know, Glenn Jackson and Bryce Lawrence and all that. Well, they never had really that issue because they didn't grow up with, you know, what we've all got now with social media. So mm. um, it's definitely, yeah, it's definitely something that um, I think is that is the big change from, okay, how, how do you deal with it when you when you start doing the, those big games? And I think now, you know, the more the more games you do, um, you know, the more times that, you know, people will see you and you'll referee a team and, you know, they'll be perceived injustices against that team. So yeah. I think, you know, that's why, you know, someone like Wayne Barnes and Nigel Owens, all those guys, you know, they've been at the top level for 10 plus years and you know, that's why they're, they're fantastic referees. Um, but generally, you know, the more you do, the more the more games, you know, there's going to be at least one game where mm. um, they don't agree with your decision and then yeah. and that's all they remember you for. Mate, 100%, especially Wayne Barnes. He's a perfect example here in New Zealand, eh? One forward pass, how many years ago was it? <laughs> Plenty. And he oh, still mate, cops like, it, eh? He does and I, I feel sorry for him because, look, he's easily one of the best referees in the world right now and has been... Yeah. For a long time and and I, I actually it was, it was interesting so you know once i sort of got to this level and i i started understanding okay how do you referee test matches i actually went back and i watched that game 
Um, mm. You know, because now when I watch a game of rugby, unfortunately, you know, I'm, I'm you sort of referee it in your mind, you know, as you're watching yeah. the game. Um, so I watched it from that point of view, just to see, okay, what you know, does do people have um, an actual uh, a say in action how he referee? You know, did he do a good job or not? And mate, I watched that game, and he like he nailed it. Like he refereed that game so well. Yeah. And then the full pass came along, and and I said, well, look, any referee that refereed that game. You just never you're never in the position to be able to see that. You know, like there's no way. I don't know, I can't remember who made that break, one of the, the French players, but you know, we're referees, we referee a reason, it's because we can't keep up, you know, with, with guys <laughs> like yourself and, and players in a game. So, you know, back in the day, like they weren't able to use the TMO to check forward passes. Yeah. So I really felt sorry for him because um, you know, he was he was in a lose lose situation um with that, unfortunately. Mate, hundred percent. Has it ever put you off refereeing? Has it has it ever got to the point where you're like, oh, I can't be bothered copying this abuse anymore. I've, I've had a guts full. Um, no, look, it, it hasn't. You know, I think for me at the moment, the the benefits of being involved in those games, um, the feeling you get after you've done a good job after a game, mm. the travel, um, the people that you get to meet um, sort of outweighs those those perceived negatives at, negatives at the moment. But, yeah. you know, all it probably takes is, you know, some experiences, you know, that, you know potentially you know, that we've had in the Lions. Um uh, that you could get at World Cups that, you know, could really, you know, you know, be the be the tipping point to some. But I think at the moment, like I'm 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 quite lucky. I have managed to sort of get through the whole social media and um that side of things quite quickly. Um so, you know, I'm able to just to laugh at that kind of stuff now. And, you know, I've done um, you know, I show people and it's quite funny, like I remember being doing a game with Angus Gardner once and we were both copying stuff after the game, and I was only the assistant referee, <laughs> and so we were just like showing each other what we were what we were receiving, and you know it's just really good to have a laugh about it because um, at the end, look, we definitely put our hands up when we make errors, and you know yeah. we we definitely work hard to be accountable, we'll review our games so that we can be better because if we don't get better, we you know we will we will stop getting those appointments. Mm. Um, so we sort of just see it for what it is. It's just you know someone who you know is so angry that they can actually search and sit down yeah. and even type my last name correctly yeah. um you know okay good on them but um yeah it doesn't really doesn't really impact me anymore fortunately very good but anyway mate what's what's the plans for you have you got much of a plan in terms of your refereeing career have you got goals in line yeah mate look i i've always just wanted to referee the highest level like i love the challenge of Okay, always, okay, ref- Okay, what's the biggest game and, and being involved in those games? And I really feel that over the years, I've, I've built a skill set that um, I think helps those games and I think helps players just, you know, enjoy those games as well. So for me, you know, uh, you know, big goals for me were obviously the World Cup and um, the Lions series. So, you know, I've, I've been able to do that. Um, so now it's just, you know, just continually referring the top levels a, a massive goal for me. And I, I just want to do it for as long as I can. Um, I don't have aspirations or goals to referee a World Cup final. I think you know they're, they're unrealistic because at the end of the day, you know, I want the All Blacks to, to win the World Cup final. Mm. Um, so if they want to, if they're going to win the World Cup final, well, I can't referee that because you, you know you can't referee your own country. Yeah. Um, uh, nor- normally, so um, for me, I just want to be involved in those big games and, and referee at that level um, as long as I can. And I think you know the day will come where uh, you know hopefully I can you know give all my learnings to a younger referee and. Uh, eventually, one day that, that referee will take over and 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 surpass me, and, and I think that'll be the day that I'll I'll hang up the boots. But um, I'd just be really keen just to 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 stay involved for as long as I can. And I think you know that on the horizon, there's another World Cup in France coming up in 2023. Um, there's another Lions series. You know, you, you you roll that around again in Australia um, coming up as well, and then you know another World Cup after that. I think you know potentially I'm at an age now where I could you know go 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 to a few. 
Um, and I know that you know, if I can do that, then I only want to do that if I'm referring at that absolute top level. So, you know, I'll, I'll try and keep challenging myself to be better and, and to keep doing that. And what's the hardest part to be able to stay on top of your game in terms of age? Is it just the fitness requirements, the the speed, or just the mental fatigue from being a ref for so long? I think it's I think it's just the body, you know, like um, yeah. Uh, we, we referee for a reason just because, you know, we don't want to take too many knocks um, and hopefully we don't, although uh, Brendan Pickerel <laughs> took a good knock in the All Black game in the weekend, which is good. He copped it. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, uh, I'll keep reminding him of that. Um, but it's generally like the older you get, the more experience you get. You know, you've been through those those experiences where you've learned from it. You, you know, you've got those scars on your back. So the wiser, the older you get, um, the better you are as a referee, you know, so that's why you know, someone like Wayne Barnes, Jaco Piper, you know, they've been at the top level for so long because they've been through the, all the ups and downs, they've learned everything, and they're actually at a point now where all those learnings that have happened have meant that, okay, they make mistakes, they don't make a lot of mistakes um, during a game, and if they do make a mistake, it's not they're not massive just because of the time they've mm. spent in the middle. So, you know, if you keep referring well like that, you know, you're going to keep being selected. So the only thing that limits you is, is your body. Um, and if you, you know, physically... Keeping up with the game um, isn't too hard because we don't have to stay on side. We you know, we can run these running lines where we we can chop and change in and out of the D line, and you know we can get to the next breakdown, um, you know, before the half at because we can just run there and we don't need to stay on side. You know, we can sort of just run into space. So, but you know, the older you get, you know, a lot of referees get you know um, niggles with the hamstrings, calves. So a lot of our gym work that we do, you know, we're not trying to get massive. Um, we we're just trying to do um, you know a lot of injury prevention. So. You know, we'll work out, you know, lower body, upper body, just so that we can stay fit and just stay conditioned to be able to referee. Because you know, we probably we probably run about nine kilometers in a game, and it's very much stop start. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. So we we chuck all the old GPS units on, just like you guys, and um, we yeah, it's about nine kilometers. Um, but you know, that high intensity stuff is probably a lot lower than you know what probably the backs would do. Yeah. Um, we're not having to get down and up like a lot of the forwards. Mm. Um, so we're almost like you know marathon runners compared to um, probably your sprinters or your, your middle distance or short distance like some of the players are so if you can keep your fitness up like that and you can stay injury free then you know that's why you get someone like Nigel Owens who but I think he retired at 47 I think from Poit right now French referee still referring is about 45 Jerome Garcia is about 45 as well so you sort of get to the mid 40s where um, yeah if you can still if you can still keep up with the play basically by, by staying on the field and being fit then there's no reason why you wouldn't be wouldn't be um, continually being selected because by then, you know, you, you've you understand the game pretty well and how it should be refereed. And, mm-hmm. and I think you know people have accepted your style by then that um, you know you should be able to referee for a few more years. Do you have fitness requirements you have to live up to to be a referee? Yeah, we do. We we get tested like um, so twice a year through World Rugby, um, and you have to run a Bronco, which oh, is yeah. you know that new sort of test I've brought in over the last uh, four or five years. Um, and I think like to, to referee certain levels. So if you wanted to referee um, Bunnings NBC, um, you got to get maybe under five fifteen. Oh yeah. Um, if you want to referee um, at Test match level, you got to get under five. But a lot of the referees, you know, at at that Test match level, you know, some of the quickest would be running, you know, four minutes thirty. True. I think um, James Dolman in New Zealand was a four twenty five. That's insane. Yeah, mate, it's quick and. You know, he, he blew us all away. So most of us are sort of between that 4.45 mark. Because, um, you know, to be honest, like 4.45 is, is really good. Um, you know, it's amazing. And, and you probably don't need to be going any quicker to be refereeing a game. Um, because the, the big part about refereeing is that you need, to be, you need to be fit to be able to make a decision and have a clear mind. So you need to be able to, you know, run that eight kilometers in a game. 
be in the 75th minute and the Lions, you know, decide at 16 all, and then still have a clear mind after running 50 metres to a breakdown mm. to be able to make the right decision. So that's that's really the most important thing around fitness for us is is being able to be able to, you know, make those decisions after after you're fatigued. Have you ever been in a game where you're just completely gassed and you can't you can't really keep up? Yeah, there's one game like um and, and it was it was all of us really, like all the players. I refereed um, South Africa versus Australia in Bloemfontein. So yeah. um, in the hive out at altitude and Bloemfontein was about thirty five degrees, so it was hot as well. And you know, obviously you fly into South Africa, you fly in on the Monday. And, you know, you're a little bit jet lagged, but at altitude, you're trying to train as well. So, you know, I try and run yeah. as much as I can during the week just to, you know, you know what it's like just to get those lungs yeah. at that level. And, and, mate, I remember, I think for the first five minutes, we didn't have one stoppage. Um, it was back and forth. You know, Israel Folau was cutting cutting through gaps. And we had, um, you know, Hundred Pollard running through for South Africa as well. And it just went back and mm-hmm. forth, back and forth at altitude, 30 degree heat. And um, there was no stoppages for injuries. We didn't have a scrum. And so for five minutes. And then finally, I think we had, like, the ball got kicked into in goal. And I just, uh, there wasn't a grounding. But I was like, mate, guys, we're going to check this. We're going to take time off. And I think <laughs> everyone looked at me and they just patted me on the back. They said, thank you. And uh, all the water, all the technicians came on and got the water on. And But, I, yeah, I was. that was one moment where I was absolutely gassed. Um, and it was really uncomfortable, you know, because, you know, you're trying to, make these decisions you're running back and forth um but then funnily enough you know after we had a bit of a we had a bit of a break a bit of water um we're straight into the game you sort of just got into that groove so second wind yeah it was probably only time second win for the 75 minutes it was good if you make a poor decision early in the game does that affect you do you, do you feel that when you're refereeing the rest of the game yeah well i mean that's i mean that, that's what that's one of the real early things you need to learn as a referee um is how you move on from a decision whether you think it's correct or not you've got to be able to um in a way, move on to the next decision with a clear mind, without any influence from that previous decision. Because if you're if you're running around, and you, you think, "Geez, I don't know if that last penalty was correct," or you saw it on the big screen, you're like, "Oh, that was wrong." And then you're thinking about that when you go into the next decision. Well, you might make that decision. That might get that might be wrong. And then it just starts it starts snowballing for the rest of the game. So, you know, early on in my career, that's that's something really that you got to try and work on. Um, uh, I know a lot of people, not a lot of referees and, and maybe players, you know, you've got these certain things that you do during a game just to be able to, you know, keep yourself in the moment. Um, I know some referees sort of, um, they might replace their whistle, take their whistle off, put it back on. They might slap their slap their thigh. For me, I just, I sort of just tell myself, um, just trust and enjoy. So just obviously just to keep enjoying the game, but just trust that, um, you know, in the moment, you know, you're going to be right nine times out of 10 pretty much. And the reason that I built that up is that, you know, there were there were times in games where I, I thought, oh, geez, I'm not sure about that decision. And then when I reviewed the game, I was actually correct. And so that happened a few times where, and then I started realizing, well, actually, you know, a lot of the times you are correct. So um, whenever you get that doubt in your mind, just move on. You're probably going to be right. Move on to the next one and, and get that next one right. Because, you know, you will make, uh, in a game of rugby, um, a referee might, the decisions that they make, 90, 90% of the decisions might be accurate. Um, there might be 12 non-decisions in a game. So um, decisions where um, you know, a player came in the side and they should have penalised that. And there might be maybe two errors in the game. And that, that's sort of across the board is what um, how games are refereed right now because you know, that's how it's, how it's tracked. So you know, like I, I know that you know, in a game, you've just got to be comfortable. It's just, it's just making sure that you know, those big ones, um, you're not getting wrong. Um, and you know that, that that's a that's a big part of it. And um, you know, like a big one I had 
a few weeks ago was uh, Mariko Corabetti in the Australia-France game. Yeah, I got a few questions about that one, actually. Oh, mate, I'll probably be able to. I had a few questions myself. Um, <laughs> but, you know, like the, the thing around, you know, what we're trying to do or what World Rugby is trying to do is that, you know, they're bringing in laws. And it's kind of like what I said, you know, you, you learn mm. a lot of it theoretically. Um, and until you're actually out in the moment, you know, you're not, you know, you actually don't know how to implement it um, fully. So, you know, in that moment, um, you know, I gave, I gave a red card because I thought, okay, there's dangers come from distance. We, we do have an angle where there's um, direct contact to the head. Um, so therefore, it's a red card, even though every bone in my body in that moment was saying, mm. um, you know, this is not a red card. And, and that's mm. one of the, I mean, that's one of the uh, more frustrating things for me that happened after the game is that, um, you know, I've, I've given bad red cards before, you know, so I've learned from that. You know, I've learned that, um, you know, I even have like my, we've got a little booklet with your cards in it. So normally you just have a yellow and a red. Like my booklet has yellow, yellow, open it up, yellow, and then a red. So like I've got to really go through to actually give a red card, you know, like I've got to go through those barriers to, to actually break through to be able to give it. Yeah. Um, so that was more the frustrating thing is I felt like I, I had learned from that. Um, when it came out that, look, okay, there is... Um, there is actually shoulder contact first because the head comes forward and then the head touches the shoulder. Therefore, you know, it's mitigated down to a yellow in the review. I sort of looked at that and I was like, okay, I understand that. Like, um, and all I learned was Ben, just, just stay with your instinct, stay with your gut, stay with, you know, the experience and, you know, what's got you to this level to be able to make those, those correct decisions. Um, so, you know, that was, that was a big, a big part of that. But in that moment, you know, I, I knew that it was a big decision. It was four minutes into a test match yeah. which was a decider, you know, it was one all. And I just thought, look, we're going to review, we're going to look at, okay, whatever this decision is, whether it's right or wrong, we're going to review it after the game. What I must do is referee the next 76 minutes really accurately and really well. And um, and I knew, like, I'd refereed uh, really well all season Super Rugby, and I, I just knew, look, again, just trust and enjoy. So enjoy it, but trust that, you know, you're going to be able to referee the rest of the match. And you know, it was a really challenging game, you know, it stayed tight right to the end. Mm. Um, but I reviewed that game and I thought, look, um, I thought I refereed really well, but kind of like what I said before, um, you know, moment. was that game a pass mark? You know, probably not because in that one moment, um, you know, I gave an incorrect decision, which definitely impacted the game. Yeah. Um, and as a referee, you don't want to be, you don't want to do that. So um, I was just grateful. Look, you got to, you got to take those learnings on board. And I think, you know, I get a situation like that in the future. I'm definitely going to be better off because I'll know a way where, look, we'll still give red cards, but I'll just be a little bit smarter um, in terms of, okay, looking at that picture fully and actually trusting my gut more mm. and and to be fair i believe that that experience actually helped me you know deliver the you know, performance that i needed to do in the line series and you know be a, be smart around the foul play mm. um which was just happening left right and center in that game mate it's so hard eh? and is, is the game referee different in different hemispheres because we talk about red cards and there's a hundred times more red cards up in the english premiership than there is at super rugby so is there different interpretations for referee around the red cards? Well, no, like there shouldn't be because, you know, World Rugby put out the guidelines for what a red card should be. And, you know, that has been constantly tweaked and adapted. And, you know, potentially that's why you have, um, you know, differences that are happening between the Northern Hemisphere and the Southern Hemisphere. But, I mean, I also think that the style of rugby is different between the North and the South. So, therefore, you know, you know you've, you've played up there. Therefore, you know, there's probably more of those one-on-one um, -on -one contact situations you know, versus maybe in the Southern Hemisphere where, you know, the ball's probably spread a bit wider. So, you know, you try and actually beat someone on the outside so there's more of a lower tackle um, around the legs to stop them, um, potentially. Because actually, you know, the law and, you know, what we're told and, you know, we have regular meetings with the North and the South, you know, we should be all following the same sort of guidelines. 
And I guess like one difference is that, you know, as Kiwi referees, we had a whole season of Super Rugby at those new laws before everyone else did. So I felt like we got a really good full year under our belt of experience. So we sort of got through that learning process where, you know, um, a few years ago when the Northern Hemisphere finally got rugby going on, they started going through that process as well. So, you know, it took them a bit of time to probably catch up to, to where we're at in terms of understanding you know, foul play and the tackle and, and I guess the new the new law trials. Mate, it's all so interesting. I love it. But as always, we've gone to our Instagram and like I said at the start, you've come up with so many, so we better crack on to some of these questions before we have to turn it into a mini-series. But first question, have you ever thought about swapping codes and refing in the NRL? Um, look, I've never thought about it, um, but, you know, when I watch a game, I think, geez, that's pretty easy. Like they, <laughs> they use the they use the TMO every try. Um, I only have to count the six. <laughs> two um, refs. But yeah, two refs. They stand twenty meters away. So, you know, now that I think about it, I reckon you know that'd be a pretty cruisy job. Um, so maybe that's like a retirement gig I can do. I have thought about like um, we had one of our one of our ex referees became the cricket manager, uh, umpire manager oh, yeah. in New Zealand. And I thought, geez, that'd be that'd be an interesting one. You know, like being able to be a cricket umpire. But then I realised, like I. I've got concentration that lasts, you know, I could probably, you know, do an 80-minute game, you know, maybe if there's a bit of extra time, you know, squeeze an extra 20 minutes. Um, the concentration I think cricket umpires have to to be there on a five-day, all-day, standing at the crease um, would yeah. be really tough. So I, I haven't really considered I think I'm just, I'm still just trying to improve and get better at refereeing. So we'll just, we'll keep it that job first. Mate, it would be cool to see. It would be cool to see a ref uh, switch codes. It'd be like the big TJ announcement <laughs> off to the off to the NRL. Well, we had like um, John O'Brien, who was a I think he was like the world's best netball umpire, and yeah, now he's yeah. referring in, in Bunnings NBC and doing a great job. He had us in the weekend, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think that's probably one of his first Bunnings games. So um, yeah, he, he's doing a great job. But I reckon like one game they should get a rugby referee is on that is it the black clash or the um you know you know when they oh, get the yeah. footy players <laughs> yeah should do that yeah, but i reckon your gag, that's your uh. i'll be a bit there'll be an embarrassment oh you just be like <laughs> sixes and you know no balls and stuff so you know, we'll, we'll keep we'll, i'll keep myself in the middle of the rugby field no mate we'll sort that one out surely the next umpire at the black clash righto next one um biggest spray from a player um look i think um you get a lot of you get a lot of sprays from players um, I'm sure you've yelled at me some something once, um, you know, in a game. <laughs> but you, you don't really, you don't really remember. You know, like a lot of it is, is passion. Um, so you yeah. know, I've I've had a lot of sprays, but then you know, often a player will come up and say, "Look, I'm sorry, like that was just in the moment." So you move on. Um, but I think you know, one of the funniest ones was I think a few months ago when I had the Hurricanes Highlanders game and <laughs> Kelsey. Yeah, I know. Um, and and I did I did that thing you know like because football umpires you know they, they actually pull out the yellow card early and this is something you know I do watch other umpires in different sports yeah so they pull out their card early so they don't get players rushing in and you know people know that okay the referee's going to deal with it so I sort of try to do that in, in union as well where like if I've got a yellow card coming up I'll just pull it out so that okay everyone knows so I don't need the other captain complaining asking for a yellow card mm. and obviously when I pulled it out he um, he was like you know what's that and then <laughs> he, he said something like um we're oh, we're just, just trying to have fun. a bit of fun, <laughs> and mate, I um, I don't like like my style of my style of how I like to referee is, you know, I I, I always listen, um, I you know I always engage with the player, and I'll never try and um ignore them. Yeah, but I just I bit back and I said like not tonight. So he said, <laughs> oh, we're just trying to have a bit of fun. I said not tonight, and um, it was just it was just it was just a reaction, and but he, he was he was really good about it, and he um, 
he came back on and said, "Look, okay, we'll have, I'll, I'll be better now. We'll have a bit of we'll have a bit of proper fun." So um, that was that was probably one of the one of the good moments. Oh man, it's so good. And we've had heaps of questions sent in about Colsey. What is Dane Coles like to ref? Mate, like I don't I don't understand why they, there's all these questions about him because I reckon he's fantastic. Yeah. Um, I reckon, and like he's one of those older players now where I think he's been there, he's done that. Um, he understands the game. He understands referees as well. He knows that we're not going to get everything right. Um, so, you know, if he sees like a mistake that we've made or, you know, we give him an answer that he doesn't really buy, he'll just, you know, he'll roll his eyes, but he'll always do it with a smile. Yeah. Um, but he'll go out, you know, but he'll, he'll do that just after like, you know, putting a massive hit on someone and, <laughs> um, and then he'll drop, and then he'll drop a shoulder on someone as well. So, um, He's certainly look. I think he's a great player to deal with. I think there's a lot of players, especially in New Zealand, um, you know, because we've been able to referee them a lot more, um, just because we've stayed locally. Um, it's been really good. I think we've got some really good characters in the game, mm, for sure. And a lot of them have come on here actually. Okay, tips for young referees wanting to make a career in refereeing. Yeah, look, I think um, that's a real common question that I get. And um, one one thing I always I always there were probably two things where I think it's really important to like play rugby you know or, or at least be a fan of it and watch it because the more you watch rugby um or you play um the more you're obviously going to enjoy it but also the more you can actually understand um how games how games are played it's like i say that about commentators as well you know you get the commentators that we have right now they've either played or they've been commentators for 20 years so i was always amazed that you know they'd be watching a game and they just sort of understand the nuances really well but it's just because they've watched it you know they're, they're a student of the game so I'd say just try and be involved or watch as much um, rugby as you can. But probably the biggest thing is just always ask for advice. Um, I'm, you know, I'm referring some of the top games in the world now, but um, I'm still always asking for advice because you never know, you know, what kind of gem you can get either from a from a player, from a coach, from another referee, um, from a spectator just watching. And I remember, you know, when I was young and coming through, I never tried to think that I always knew knew everything about a game because you don't and you never do. Um, so because I always wanted to get better, I always knew that, okay, well, there's, there's a lot of better referees out there. Um, there's a lot of better people that understand the game more than I do. So, okay, let's try and understand how much they know and then um, I'll be able to progress for them. Um, and that's what I always try and do with referees. Like I'll always be open to trying to you know, push on them as much as I know so that they can at least take a little part of it, adapt it their own, into their own style or their own way and then go out there and, 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 and hopefully do a better job than I could do, you know, that's, that's definitely my goal. And I know that over the years, you know, I've taken certain, um, you know, skill sets from from particular referees, like, you know, the way that Nigel Owens manages players, um, Glenn Jackson's read in the game, um, Wayne Barnes's, you know, just experience, Jaco, Jaco Piper's technical ability. You know, I try and, you know, take aspects and, and mould that into my own game. And I could only really do that by asking and, and talking with people because, you know, it's you don't know what you don't know, right? So it's really important when, you know, you do get people's opinions and, I mean, like like a lot of opinions that you get in social media, you know, you sort of got to dredge through um, all the negative stuff, all the bad stuff. But you know, yeah. there's definitely a lot of stuff there, and and you know, I've only got to a position now by by listening to a lot of people, and um, you know, so that would be my biggest biggest advice to um, to any referee that wants to um, you know potentially carve a pathway in refereeing because it's you know it's a fantastic fantastic career. Yeah. Mate, that's good stuff. And that sort of leads on to the next one. You mentioned a few good referees there, but who is the best referee in the world, in your opinion? Um, so me, I think easily, you know, it's Wayne Barnes. Um, and so that, that's current referee. And I think, you know, he's probably been one of the best for the last few years as well, even though 
you know, he's right up there with, um, you know, Yako Piper, you know, Nigel Owens is right up there with him. You know, the world just loved him and the way that he, he, uh, the style that he referees the games and also, you know, his one-liners that he, he pulls out. Um, but, but for me, like um, Barnsley, you know, he's, he's a leader within our group. He's just been there for so long. You know, like he, he refereed that quarterfinal against All Blacks France. I think he was like the age of 31 or something, which is, which is pretty incredible. Like um, I went to the World Cup, I think I was 31 or 32 as well. So, you know, for him to actually do a quarterfinal and, and still be there now, you know, he's just developed so much. And you see that in the way that you talk to him now and the way that he referees, you know, he, he referees, referee games really well. And I think in terms of like the all income, you know, encompass package, you know, he's, he's sort of got that, Um, but it's only just, it's only been through time and, um, you know, getting getting denied, you know, reentry into New Zealand and all that kind of stuff. So um, <laughs> he's he's definitely up there right now. Um, but it's good. Like I think even in New Zealand, though, like we've we've got some a really good group of young referees right now, sort of at that Super Rugby level. Um, and you, you do go through a cycle where you know you've got a really strong group of French referees that will be strong for like a three or four year cycle. Um, before that, it was probably South Africa with Craig Joubert and you know Andre Watson and all that. And before that, it was probably New Zealand. I think now as New Zealanders, we're almost getting back to, you know, we, you know, we've got like Brendan Pickerel, Paul Williams, James Dolman, Mike Fraser, who now are all getting tier one test match experience and we're all, you know, sort of mid thirty. So, you know, hopefully that's um, strong means it's strong for New Zealand. It's only going to help, I think, you know, Super Rugby and the New Zealand game because you know you've got these top referees with top experience. Um, to help, you know, referee the game. And then, you know, hopefully that will benefit um, those players who then go on and play international and play for the All Blacks and, um, you know, further on in the future. Okay, next question. Does he get much grief from New Zealand public when he's out and about? No, nah, not not really. Like, I think um, it probably only really started, you know, because I've been refereeing Tier 1 test matches for maybe four or five years. Um, you know, went to the World Cup, like even was part of the World Cup final. But because I don't, I never referee the All Blacks, um, and, you know, the All Blacks, you know, didn't make it through, you know, like you don't, you know, people don't really notice that, okay, there's actually a New Zealand referee or there are New Zealand referees out there, you know, referring at the highest levels as well, um, you know, in Six Nations and I guess in the November Test matches either. So I quite like that. That means I can come back to New Zealand and no one really, no, no one notices me at all. I'm not like a player. Um, I can go and have a, have a beer and, you know, no one's taking a photo of me. It's it's fantastic. Um, but then, you know, when I did referee the All Blacks, um, Two year, uh, last year in, in Sydney, that's when I did notice that actually, you know, okay, people are like, oh my gosh, wow, you you referee you referee that level, that's amazing. Oh, that's and right. I'm like, yeah, like it is, <laughs> it is pretty cool. Um, but I guess you know you do become a bit more, and and I think you know now because I I have been involved in bigger games, you know, you referee some of the big games in Super Rugby, um, you know, and especially because we've we've done every single game in New Zealand, like normally would be in South Africa and Argentina, away from those headlines. Yeah. Um, you know, you all of a sudden you are, you know, oh, I'll be no key for you, you know, how can this team win with him? And how can, yeah. you, know, uh, you know, he's is he, is he favoring one team again? And like, where's he from in New Zealand and all that kind of <laughs> stuff. So um, you do get, you do sort of get noticed a bit more just because we've been more local. Um, yeah. But, you know, that's, that's just part of it. And, you know, I certainly love, I, I certainly liked it when I could be doing those games and, you know, not being recognized or noticed at all. Because, I mean, that's kind of what I want to be like on the field as well. You're not really, really noticed or recognized mm. either. You can sort of just, do the job and get out. Yeah, and you mentioned people mentioning about uh, refereeing their side, so we got heaps of questions about that. About oh, why does he? Why does he hate the Hurricanes or whatever? But, um, <laughs> do you go into a game ever? Um, go into the game nervous about refereeing one side because you feel like you have 
a bias towards them, e.g. the All Blacks Australia game? No, like absolutely not. Like the um, the like the way that I referee, you referee based on instinct and what happens in front of you. So mm. you know, a player makes a tackle and doesn't roll away, bang, you got advantage. Yeah. You know, you don't have time to actually go. Oh, that's my mate from high school, or <laughs> oh, that's um, you know, that's an all black there. So oh, actually, I'll, I'll bring my my hand back in. You know, like it would just be too obvious. Um, yeah. But you do because you refer, you're refereeing on instinct because you know you've trained yourself just like players. You know, you know if you're reading a gap and you know passing you. You do that based on instinct as well. So, um, so for me, you know, in, in, like in New Zealand, especially, you know, I grew up in Tasman. Um, I studied in Dunedin. Mm. Um, I lived in Wellington, and um, you know, now I live in Auckland. So, you know, there's, you know, there, there, there can't, there's no bias there. It's just yeah. like I don't, you know, as a referee, you don't, you don't really support a team. And and I like how you know, that was sort of proven when you started getting people referee their own country. Um, so last year, especially we had Australians referee Australia, New Zealand. Then you know I refereed the New Zealand versus Australia as well. Mm. Um, and I think we're all a little bit apprehensive to see, okay, how is this actually going to work? But I was really confident, knowing that well, this is how we refer a game. We just go out there and we referee what's in front of us. Um, doesn't matter what color jersey they have on. And and you know that really happened when I refereed um, the All Blacks. You know I just refereed and it didn't really matter. Um, I think I yellow carded two All Blacks in that game. You know it doesn't doesn't matter. They were from New Zealand. They were. They were going to be yellow cards, whether you're wearing a, a gold jersey, a Welsh jersey, an English jersey, or 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 an All Black jersey. So, um, but I understand how you know people will always say that. But you know, at the end of the day, the longer well, I've been referring for a long time now, um, the people that those people's teams they would have they would have lost at least once when I've been referring with them, and they probably yeah. blame me for that. So, um, I think just the, the longer yeah, the longer you referee, the more. Um, the more you're going to be perceived to be like that. So, um, unfortunately, uh, I don't think it's going to change. Like that. Okay, next one. Have you ever considered going back to being a rugby player? Oh, mate, I've played social rugby before, um, but mm. only because, you know, I, I still get given free boots. You know, if I had to buy my own boots, I think, no, nah, <laughs> I wouldn't. But, um, no, nah, like, I've, I've never considered because, you know, I've, I've reached a level where I, I would never have reached this playing, you know, um, being involved yeah. in, in Tier 1 test matches. Um, and you know that's that's you know right down to I probably would have I would never have um, you know played in Bunnings or Heartland you know so um, for me um, I'm really grateful and and I love you know what I do as a referee and um, because I'm always like I think I said at the start like I always want to keep challenging myself and keep challenging myself to be better for the game um, if I went back to play rugby I mean I'd I wouldn't be challenging myself at all I'd just be like I'd be a challenge for the referee I, I tell you that like I'd, I'd definitely be one of those players that'll be telling me to be quiet. I remember I'll, I'll play social netball and I feel sorry for them. I do sort of everything that is yelled at me from the weekend or sent to me on social media. I bottle up and I think I let loose on these <laughs> social netball umpires. Um, so I've got to rein that in. Um, but no, I haven't considered going back. I'd, I'd be, I'd, I think I'd break in half the first tackle that um, oh, someone did. That's classic. Okay. Um, on that, who is the hardest player to referee? Um, who's the hardest? Like, the it's it, that is a hard question because everyone at that, at a professional level, you know, everyone's everyone knows the laws really well. Everyone's really competitive, so everyone, you know, they do challenge you, but they do challenge you respectfully. So, I think um, I guess the hardest players to referee are you know a lot of the a lot of the captains around the world. You know, you get the Alwyn Joneses, the Sia Khaleesi's, um, even Sam Whitelock. You know, because they know the law really well. And their job is, and, and I do like an open communication channel. They can be quite difficult to deal with because you know they're coming at you with questions, they're challenging your decision decisions, even though it's respectful. 
Um, but it's always putting you on notice, you know, and you're, you're just trying to have to manage that situation constantly. So they're, they're sort of really challenging players in terms of how um, you manage with them. Um, and then other, you know, other players are just like a lot of sevens in the world, you know, um, like the Tom Currys, the Dalton Papali'is, the Adi Savies, you know, they're so quick to get on the ball. They're so low when they get on the ball that, mm. um, you know, sometimes you question yourself, you're like, wow, did, you know, because they're, because they're, they're so quick now, you really have to be on the money and you have to be at there right quickly to, to actually read, okay, should they be rewarded with that penalty or actually should they um, be penalised for being off their feet or for yeah. not rolling away? So, yeah. you know, they're, they're, I think just the, the accuracy and the skills of players are really challenging um, compared to what it was like maybe five, ten years ago. Mm, interesting, eh? Okay, next one. If you could change one rule, what rule would you change? Um, look, what I would change is stop changing the laws every year. Um, I think that happens a lot, you know, where we just get really good at a set of laws and interpretations. And then, because, you know, it takes some time, you know, it's like players, you're, you're sort of adapting to a new style. Um, and then all of a sudden it's changed and then we have to refresh everything again. But so if, if we weren't going to do that, if we did have to change anything, I would actually try and change the um, the like the outlaw. Oh, yeah. Um, which is a really technical piece. And like you'd know as, as sort of a fullback winger where, you know, if the depending on the plane of touch, the ball's either in or it's out. Um, you can be actually running outside the field of play. And if the ball hasn't crossed the plane of touch, you can hit it in, yeah. but not catch it. If you hit it in, then it's play on. You can score a try actually lying outside of the field of play and then hit the ball down and in goal. So there's all those things where, you know, as an assistant referee, like, yeah, when you prepare for a game, like that's the stuff that you get pretty scared about because you're thinking it happens so quickly. And like, where's the plane of touch? Where is it? Is he out? Is he not? Is the foot on the ground? Is it not? I just think, look, if the, if the player's out, they can't touch the ball, and the ball's out. So, <laughs> I would, I would like, mate, I would like them to change that law because then, and then all of a sudden, you know, your mates are the Hurricanes. I think Corey Jane did the whole. Um, if you, you know, you can jump from outside the field of play, yeah. and as long as you catch the ball and land in, yeah. You're it's in. it's it's play on, you know. So that's another real niggly one where in law it's it's right. Yeah. Um, so uh, yeah, I, I think they could definitely do. That. I think in basketball. Uh, it's real simple. It's basically if the ball's out or if it touches someone that's out, then it's out, you know. So, and, you know, that's a great sport. So um, I think, you know, we we should, we should definitely take a leaf out of maybe their, their book. Yeah, okay. One more rule change and then, then we'll knock it on the head. Yeah, I'd be happy with that. Okay, this one. You you might have been playing, actually. Thoughts on the Nasi Manu v. Ryan Marshall hit that still circulates on the socials? Mate, that is, that is like folklore at Marlborough Boys College. Um <laughs> Rugby, that one. It's it's amazing. Um, I don't know if you've seen the clip, but you should definitely have, try and get I have. it. You must have, have been you? on the other wing, oh. were you? <laughs> oh, mate, I'm so happy. I was on the other wing. I was 50 <laughs> meters from that. Um, Nasi Manu came out of nowhere. I, I think I think Ryan Marshall still getting tackled right now. Um, but that was like that was you know I would say you'd, a bit of a golden era for Marlborough boys. We were really led well by um, guys like Joe Wheeler and, and Quinton McDonald, and you know we yeah. I think it was like the Press Cup final against Christchurch boys and. No, they they were unbeaten all season until we beat them in the round robin, and then we played them at home at the mighty Lansdowne Park. Um, and yeah, so Nasi Mani was I think the the number eight for um, Christchurch boys, and mate, he just came out of nowhere. And you know, I um, I can't say that I've ever wanted to um, be on the end of that because you know I've seen that video clip, and the video clip still sort of resurfaces. And mate, he um, I feel for the guy, but he got up and. Um, he he kept playing, so yeah. no, it was it was it was a good it was a good tackle. 
And that was your last game of rugby too, wasn't it? <laughs> you retired out of sympathy. Oh, mate. <laughs> but it probably was. I was like, look, I I was very close to putting on the 11 jersey that day. Um, but, you know, like I've got a good right boot, so I better put on the 14. And then um, you know, it, just, it just showed me like you made the great deci- right decision then and we better, we, we'll, we'll, we'll leave it there. <laughs> What's the refereeing decision from that hit? Play on or? Yeah. Hundred percent, like um, yeah, <laughs> like it's almost you give a yellow card to the to the, the guy that got tackled just to give him a ten minutes, you know, just to catch his breath again. But um, yeah, no, it was a good good low hit, full rep from distance. Um, yeah, he just he just smoked mm. him. So no, I love I love that clip. It's um, it's definitely one for the ages uh, from Marlborough boys. Yeah, one of the greats. Okay, next one. Have high tackle rules gone too far? Well, yeah, I think I think they had. Um, maybe two years ago or a year ago, where pretty much every bit of head contact was a red card. Yeah. Um, and now I'm not I'm not exactly the best person to talk about that with the red card decision I gave a few weeks ago. But um, I think the benefit now is that the guidelines it's it's, it's actually called a head contact process now. So yeah. we've actually been given um, we've been given a bit of latitude now to actually okay yes there might be direct head contact. So it might be direct head contact in the game of rugby. And there is. There's a lot of direct head contact in the game of rugby. Mm. Um, close to the goal line, pick and go. Um, even even like when you are trying to make a tackle, if the player changes their position in the, in the last few seconds, you know, it's very, very dynamic. You know, it was it used to be that red cards were for intentional acts of foul play where, you know, this player must leave the field because, you know, we can't have that in the game of rugby. And then it kind of it blended into this foray of... Um, Okay, legal. What, what what were legal tackles? You know, initially trying to make a legal tackle, but it gets it slightly wrong by a few centimeters. All of a sudden, that's a red card as well. So the difference between a red card and a play on became like you know one centimeter. Um, and that's where you know we were getting a lot of red cards. There was a lot of red cards in the Six Nations. There was a lot of red cards in the Rugby Championship last year as well. And I think we were getting to a point where like our hands were tired as referees. You know, as soon as we saw direct head contact, um, slow down on the TMO screen on the big screen. We're almost having to try and find a way to not give a red card, but if we didn't do that, our bosses were going to kill us in the review, you know, and then we wouldn't get another game. So we're in a real tough position. But now, I guess it's sort of evolved where there's more emphasis on the actual actions of that defender. Um, you know, how much danger? Like, are they are they initiating the contact? Are they providing a lot of the high danger because of the way that they're actually attacking the player? They're either jumping into it, they've come from distance, it's a swinging arm, it's a shoulder charge. Or are they stationary and are they just trying to soak the tackle and actually the dip from the ball carrier um, is the mitigation around, okay, why this might not be a red card and why it might actually even be play on, you know? So I, I like where we're moving. I think there's definitely, um, you know, further developments that we need to make so that, the, you know, the game does need to remain safe. You know, the players are getting bigger, faster, stronger. So those hits do have an impact, especially with everything that's going on uh, with concussion. Um, but we do, you know, to answer that question, we do need to be a bit smarter just around, you know, the impact that those red cards are giving. Yeah. So making sure that we're getting those right decisions um, for the mm. game. Great answer. Okay, next question. Do you think you should be punished for faking a head high? I'm guessing it's a little bit like what the French uh, eight did when he got hit by Kurobedi. Totally. Yeah, I think, um, and, you know, we, we haven't really seen that in, ga- in a game of rugby, you know. Um, a lot of it happens in football. And I think that sort of acting or that faking or, um, you know, is, is something that we, we cannot allow to ever come into the game. So I think, you know, that was really, I guess, a cornerstone incident. Okay, so we worked out, okay, that shouldn't have been a red card. Yeah. We also worked out in the review when we talked to um, our reviewers and with all the World Rugby referees is that 
if we get a situation like that again, when a player does, um, you know, you know, they're trying to get a penalty out of you or they're trying to um, fake an injury or fake where they've been hit, well, we need to go hard on that player, either by, you know, at least reversing the penalty or even yellow carding or, you know, at worst extent, red carding that player as well because um, as soon as we start getting players doing that, um, you know, it's going to be a really bad look for the game. So, mm. um, so we, I, I don't think, I think if we, if we saw that in the future and, and certainly part of my game now, you know, the way that I, you know, I'll go back and I review my philosophies and how I refer a game, part of my blueprints, I've added in that, okay, if I get a player that acts like that, um, if I have to yellow card the tackle, fine. Mm. But I'm going to make sure that I, I sanction um, that player as well. So I think potentially in, in that in that situation, if, if I had that again, that exact same moment, and you, you never get the same type of high tackle again. You yeah. know, so it's always going to be slightly different. But I think I would have, you know, I would have yellow carded Corabetti because he still gets him high, even though the contact um, shoulder first, then, then to the head. So yeah. yellow card. But I would have yellow carded um, the French captain as well. Mm. And, you know, maybe even restarted with the penalty to Australia, you know, because there's got to be a real firm stance yeah. around around that in a game. And, and that's what we do as referees. You know, we we see, okay, instances that have happened in the game and it might be as simple as a tackle decision or something more complicated like that high tackle. We review it and then, okay, we add that into our game for next week so that if it happens in, in the future, just like I said, um, then you can pull the trigger on, okay, what is, okay, the better outcome to do. And that's why, you know, guys like Wayne Barnes because, you know, they've been through all that before. Like he's, he's made all those mistakes before. You know, that's why he, he, you know, he makes, you know, when he referees a game or when Yako Piper referees a game, everyone goes, wow, he managed that really well. Or yes, that was the great yellow card, yellow card, because he's been in that decision before and he's actually um, been able to do it again because he's reviewed it. Mate, that's good stuff. I'm looking forward to seeing the first yellow card for a Hollywood. Yeah. That's going to be coming soon and it's going to change the game. I love it. Yeah, it'll be good. And I'm going to say Hollywood, actually, mate. You can't Hollywood, see ya. <laughs> yeah, good stuff. Okay. This is an interesting one. Is it true that, Ben and Angus Gardner hired a convertible in South Africa and ended up at a pub where there was a shooting. Oh yeah, like um, uh, we so like you know you sort of asked earlier on in the, in the podcast around you know what you do um, you know during that week and like I think it was like on a Wednesday we sort of decided to have a day off and um, we you know hired a car and just drove down to the, the Cape of Good Hope um, just to you know a bit of sightseeing just to get out a bit of fresh air. And then, you know, drop the car off and then we walked out and to get some dinner somewhere. Um, and then, you know, literally, you know, we left probably like 10 o'clock, went back to the hotel. And then the headlines the next morning was, you know, literally at 5 past 10, 10 past 10, um, you know, a guy walked in there and, and you know, there was, there was a shooting. So Jeez. you sort of realize that, um, you know, we, you know, we, we get this amazing opportunity to travel. Um, and sometimes you sort of realize, you know, you think you're, you know, you're in this amazing bubble where nothing can go wrong. Um, but you just got to you just got to you know keep keep in mind that you know you are in a different country, um, you know things do happen that are out of your control, and you know it's really important to obviously look after yourself and look after whoever you're travelling with because you know things can change pretty quickly. Um, so that doesn't mean like I don't think you should be ever you know you shouldn't be stuck in your hotel room mm. the whole time you know because I think I'll just go crazy with that. But um, yeah, look, I mean things can happen everywhere in the world. Um, so certainly when you are travelling, like. Um, I know, you know, teams have been through that as well. You know, when they travel overseas, it's really, you know, you just got to be so careful with um, with what you're doing now. So, um, yeah, that's that, that was definitely, you know, one situation that opened my eyes. Jeez, that's crazy. So you guys don't have a security guard because I know all the um, Super Rugby teams, when they go to South Africa, they've got their own personal security guard. But you guys, you're, you're on your own tour, are you? 
Yeah, like, and and that's I didn't realise that teams had security guards either. Um, so you know, we'd go to Savica, you know, three or four times, but you know, not just you know Savica all over the place. But yeah, it would just be like sometimes I'd be there by myself, um, and I'd I'd be doing my own things. And you, you know, you obviously you try and stay as safe as you can. Um, you know, certain places that you don't go to. Um, but yeah, other times you'd be traveling with maybe two or three, so it would just be the three of you and, you know, you do try and stick together the whole time, but you know, like, you know, you walk into the supermarket, you're walking to the training field, you walk into the gym. Um, yeah, it's, uh, you know, you just got to be so careful, um, when you're traveling. Mate, that's crazy. Yeah. South Africa, dangerous place, but, um, who is the best player you have red carded? The, the best player I've red carded. Yeah. Oh, I don't really try and fondly think of my red cards um, too much. Like, um, but, got a big, big post posters on the wall of the guys you <laughs> red card. Yeah, it's it, normally like in my Christmas cards, I write to them like I'm so sorry. Like it's, it's been five years since I red carded you, but you know, just want you to know that. But like, it is a thing, you know. I, um, you know, obviously, I never like giving red cards because um, I think they impact the game so much, and and you know now they're so technical. You know, these red cards that we give. Yeah. Um, I think you know one of the one of the first ones I ever gave was um, I think Jason Emery um, down in Dunedin. I think it was in my first year where um, he went up and I think he took Billy Larue out in the year and Billy Larue landed on his head. I oh, think it yeah. was um, Highlands versus Sharks. Um, and then you know I've, and I've I've given you know other ones out as well where you know you do you do sort of because I've only given maybe maybe four or five oh, in true. my career. Um, so you don't try and obviously make it you know rack them up but you do you do remember all of them and i think um you know certainly the ones you know that i that i've um that i do remember you know like there was one where i gave in um sydney a few years ago um it was the Sunwolves versus um uh, the reds so so it was britain brisbane and it was one of those ones it was another learning one where you know we got a bit of a punch at the bottom of a ruck and you know i sort of said well punches at the bottom of the ruck to the to the head it's a red card mm. and it was it was really light it was like a um it was like a sort of touch of the year really um but because we slowed it down because we used the tmo yeah that player was red carded and mate i feel you feel really bad as a referee when you when you make decisions like that that you know that you don't truly believe in when you review the game and when you know potentially it's impacted the game and i remember i saw um that player a whole year after um and i went up to him i was like mate look i don't know if you remember but obviously i recarded you last year and i just want to say sorry you know and um that for me was a bit of a weight i it lifted off my shoulder because you know I felt so bad, and I think as referees, you know, people I don't know if people wouldn't realize this or not, but you know, we do feel really connected to the game. Mm. Um, and obviously, we don't want to be part of the spotlight, but you know, naturally, we're brought into it when we have to make these big decisions, when we have to be in front of the screen for a TMO decision, when we have to make game defining decisions. You know, you do beat yourself up quite a bit, um, in your reviews. Um, so, um, you know, that was something I'd, I was carrying around for a long time, and you know, it was just nice, and you know, he was really good about. It. He said, "Mate, look, um, you know, no worries. Um, yeah. We all we all make mistakes, and and we moved on. So, um, you know, it was a really good part of it. So, in terms of answering that question around red cards, like, um, I, I can remember all of them, um, uh, but yeah, they're, they're never nice to to give, and, and soon I'm sure they're not for a play. Have you ever been red carded? Nah, never. Only two yellows in Japan. One for throwing the ball at someone. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. I couldn't believe it. It was my first <laughs> yellow professional rugby, throwing yeah. the ball at someone because he wouldn't let me throw a quick throw in. But yeah, did you hit him? Yeah, one of those. Oh yeah, but not very well. If I knew I was going to get yellow, <laughs> I would have kicked <laughs> it at him. <laughs> nice, nice. Okay, two more. 
Okay, what's one odd law that we wouldn't have heard of? Um, I think that one that I mentioned before, you know, that law where um, if the ball is sitting in goal, okay, so if it's in, you know, if I'm attacking and um, the ball's sitting in the, the end goal that I want to score a try in, I can actually be lying outside. So I could be outside the, the end goal. And if I'm lying on the ground and the ball's on the ground in the end goal, I can actually put my hand out and score a try. So I could be there with yeah. my hand on the ball scoring a try and my whole body could be out. And I'd be walking over as a referee being like, look, I know no one's going to like this, but bang, that's a try. <laughs> um, you know, cue the headlines, but, you know, that's under law 11.4, whatever. Um, so that's, you know, that's a, that's a real unusual one. That Now, the problem is because it hasn't really happened, I think, ever. Um, that's the, that's yeah. why it hasn't been changed. It's so hard to because because the ball has the ball has to be on the ground, right? Yeah. Like it can't. Most times the balls and then goals sort of popping up, and they'll have to slightly put the ball down. But yeah. on that rule, am I right in saying that the ball has to be flat on the ground to do that? It does because if, if the yeah. ball if the ball's off the ground, so it's bouncing like from yeah, a grub yeah. or or whatever, then if, as soon as it's off the ground, if you touch it, and you're in position, so then if you're out, then then you're out. But if the ball's on the ground because you touch it on the ground first and it's not in the air, then for some reason, it's a try. So it is a crazy rule. Hopefully it happens soon. Hey, the same game, the Hollywood yellow card happens. It's all, it's going to all, all come to fourth. Well, yeah, you may as well just have it all in, all in one game. Eh? You know, just chuck it all in one game and then we can have a big review afterwards. I just hope that um, I'm in the stands watching the game. I, I definitely don't want to be the referee for that. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay. Last question. What's the best piece of advice you've ever received? Um, I remember I it was actually after one of those instances that I talked about. I, I remember talking to one of the coaches. Um, I think it was Tony Brown. And he, he said to me, he was like, look, referees, okay, you do a lot of work in terms of learning the technical side of the game, um, understanding the laws, going out there and refereeing. But, you know, what players want to do and what coaches want to see is actually a referee that's just enjoying the game. So obviously being accurate, but just enjoying the game as well. Because if if a referee's enjoying the game, then, you know, that, that rubs, up, rubs off on the players. And then, you know, the players, I guess, naturally enjoy it a bit more as well. They accept your decision a bit more as well. So um, he just made a comment. He said, look, um, mate, like, go out there and just enjoy it. Just, just enjoy the game. Trust your ability. Um, and then everything, you know, you obviously work out afterwards. So... I really took that bit of advice and that was sort of, you know, only a few years ago where, you know, I'd done a lot of refereeing and, you know, you know, studied up a lot and, you know, done a lot of games and you know, that really opened my eyes to just be like, well, yep, okay, I've just got to trust, okay, my ability as a referee. And then the only next thing you can do is just enjoy it, enjoy the 80 minutes. Um, and I think, you know, when you do that naturally, you, you have a better game because, you know, mentally you're, you're more relaxed and I think it definitely helps the, the flow of a game. So, that's that's one thing. Like among, among many many different things, like um, uh, that people you know throughout my career that I can be very grateful for. Um, I, I also think like some of the best advice I ever got was um, in club rugby in Dunedin. You know, at the aftermatch, you know, you'd always go in, you'd have a beer, you'd have some hot chips, and then the winning coach would come over and shake your hand, and then the losing coach would come over, chuck their beer down, and you know you, you knew you're in for a, a twenty minute um, and, and you know a bit of enlightenment, but. You know they were really, really good those 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 times, and actually that's you know it's a big part of what I miss in terms of um, uh, the international stuff now is that apart from Six Nations, you know you, you have a big formal after match, but in terms of Super Rugby and and, and other Test matches now, especially with COVID, um, you, you know everyone you blow the final whistle, you know you walk off, and then you know everyone's off again to the next game. You know so it's it's pretty I guess I guess professional and serious in that sense. So 
you certainly missed that, that uh, the good times that um, I'd say. Mate, that is some excellent advice from you. And it's awesome to get an insight from one of the best referees in the world. So really appreciate you coming on the podcast and going through your journey. What an incredible journey that's been. And mate, like I said, I've got so much admiration for referees because it's such a hard job. It's um, so much more than people could ever imagine, I guess. And the amount of criticism that they cop for getting decisions wrong and almost a possible game to referee perfect mate it's, it must be just such a hard gig but it's awesome to hear how cool it is from your side and the whole process of the journey so really appreciate you coming on the podcast giving up your time and thanks for coming on mate yeah cheers jimmy it's awesome to be on what a lad and um yeah thanks for having me obviously look i'm in lockdown so i've got nothing else to do so <laughs> um <laughs> but it was awesome mate to, to catch up with you again and um yeah thanks um thanks very much for having me on no worries, mate. I'm in lockdown too, so we're all on. We all are, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what a lad, what a lad, what a lad.